Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Uh, This past month, I got a chance to run a 15K, which to be clear is a lot of Ks for me, okay? That was not an easy run. Um, but I trained for it for, for months leading up to it. And then I, day of the race, I woke up early, I, I got dressed, I went out there and I, and I ran the race and I finished the race and I got, well, the place isn't important, but I finished the race. And as I finished the race, uh, they gave me uh, this guy right here, uh, this little medal uh, of completion in the race. And yes, the race was called Trails and Tacos, a 15K and tacos don't typically mix, um, but that was their angle. Uh, but they gave me this, and to answer your question, yes, I have been wearing it for the last several weeks. Uh, but before that, uh, after the race, I saw my son, and we took a little picture together uh, in which I gave him the medal. And yes, I am doing the sorority girl kind of head tilt uh, towards him. <laughs> And yes, he looks a little apathetic about the moment. He had just woken up. Uh, But what was so much fun about this moment was I gave him this medal, uh, this picture of my completion of this race that I just ran. And then for the rest of the day, he did not take it off. Like we couldn't get it off of him. Uh, He played with it, he put it around his neck, he carried it around, it was like his favorite new toy. The only time we took it off of him for safety reasons was when we put him down for nap nap time, right? Um, But he wore this prize for my performance, uh, even though he did nothing to actually achieve it. He wore the trophy of a victory, even though all he did was to receive it. And the only reason he was able to do that was because one, he's my son, and two, because I gladly gave it to him. Now I say that because that is a very dim picture, but a very accurate picture about where we're at in the Gospel of John right now. In the Gospel of John last week, we looked at Jesus on the cross and we showed Jesus' love for you and for us. And we saw that, that he poured out his life for us. And the last thing he said on the cross was, it is finished. It is done, it is accomplished, it is literally paid in full. That the cross was Jesus paying the penalty for our sin and the resurrection is proof that the check cleared. And so now we as believers in Christ, those that have trusted the goodness and the grace and the the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came, he lived, he died, he rose from the grave. For those that trust in who he is and what he's done, we now wear his prize, his performance. And we wear it proudly. We wear the symbol of his victory, even though we did nothing to achieve it. And so that's where we're at right now in the Gospel of John. Uh, We've been moving through the Gospel of John over this last semester, and we've been seeing one central reality throughout the Gospel of John. It's kind of our tagline. It's the Gospel of John, but encountering Jesus. That when Jesus encounters you, you encounter him, your life is never the same. And now I've loved getting to the end of the story here because now in chapter 20 and 21, we see four final individuals that Jesus is going to encounter and they're never gonna be the same. That Jesus showed his power in his resurrection. 
but he showed his love and that he returned for these people. Because these people are meant to show us something. They're people from all across the, the stages of life and all different manners of life and manners of background and manners of experience and situations. There's people that are deeply grieving and deeply hurting. But there's also people that are in, deeply in fear or in doubt. There's people that have given up on Jesus. There's people that have given up on themselves. And what these four people are meant to show us is that Jesus is returning for them. And that gives us hope that Jesus is returning for us, that his resurrection showed his power over the grave, but his returning for us shows his love for us. And we see that here in these final few moments in the gospel of John, that Jesus is going to return and he's gonna flip their world upside down. And he's gonna take their sorrow and make it joy. He's gonna take their fear and make it peace. He's gonna take their doubt and make it belief and he's gonna take sinners and make them shepherds. And the hope is that we would see ourselves in these four different individuals, but more than that, we would see Jesus this morning and our lives would be marked by him and what he's done because when Jesus came, he turned the world upside down. And when he comes into your world, he turns your world upside down. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at this morning as we move through the final chapters in, in, in the Gospel of John. And so first up, we see Jesus turns sorrow into joy. John 20, verses one through 18, Jesus is gonna encounter Mary Magdalene. And in the first nine verses, we see Mary comes to the tomb and it's empty. And there's this emphasis in this passage about seeing and running. And so Mary comes and sees the empty tomb, but then she goes and runs and tells the disciples, hey, you gotta come and see this. And so they come and run. And I love it in verse four, John kind of slips in the fact that he was faster than Peter, which is such a dude thing to do, right? But he does, and so they run and they come in and they see the empty tomb and they see the clothes that were laying there without Jesus and they come to see and they come to believe and the disciples leave, but then Mary's there and she's alone and she's still grieving because she's confused about what's going on here. And then in verse 11, it says this, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at his head and one at his feet. And they said to her, her woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken my Lord. I don't know where they've laid them. And, and having said this, she turned and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? That's a callback to the first thing Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter one. Who are you seeking? What are you focusing in on right now? Why are you here, Mary? And supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where he's laid, I'll go and I'll get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. He simply says her name and sorrow is turned into joy. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father, my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. There's something so sweet about this moment. There is utter sorrow and chaos and confusion in Mary's life. And then Jesus says one word, speaks her name and she's never the same. Her sorrow is transformed into joy. How? It's 
It's because she sees Jesus. If you were to highlight every single time in John chapter 20, the word see or seen or saw is used 13 times. The disciples, Mary, Thomas, Peter, they see Jesus. He's there. He's come back. He's returned. And what I love about this moment is that Mary was the last at the cross and she was the first at the grave. She was persistent in pursuing Jesus and because of that, she got the privilege of seeing him first. And she leaves and it says in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went out and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. So Jesus calls her name. And when Jesus calls your name, you begin a journey with Jesus to see him clearer and clearer and clearer throughout your life. And when you begin to see him more and more, he takes sorrow and changes it to joy. He might not change your situation, but he'll transform you in any situation. You've probably seen this this past week. There is all the tornadoes that hit Kentucky and there was this video that was kind of circling around on social media and I just had to rejoice in it and I had to share it because in this video you have this individual who has literally lost everything. And yet as somebody is surveying all the damage of this person's house, they find that there is this one singular thing that wasn't destroyed, which was a piano in the middle of the house. And as this individual is surveying all the stuff that was destroyed, they turn the corner and they see this individual playing a worship song in the midst of the storm. And the worship song is that, it is called, there's just something about that name that goes like this. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Savior Jesus, like fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim, kings and kingdoms will pass away, but there's something about that name. You have those lyrics in mind as you check out this video. What can cause you to sing in the midst of the storms and sorrow of your life? It's when you see Jesus, when you behold him for all that he is and all that he's done. One of the main reasons why the gospel of John was written, we're told, is that we would see Jesus I love what 2 Corinthians 3.16 says. It's one of my life verses. It says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. We get to see Jesus. Now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord, there's freedom, there's liberty. And we all with unveiled faces able to see now, we behold the glory of the Lord. And because we're beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. We are called to behold Jesus, to see Jesus. And so City Bridge, how are we doing with that? 
One of our prayers for us as a body is that we would fall more in love with Jesus each and every day. And my hope for us is that we would be more in love with Jesus from now than when we were the first time we opened up the Gospel of John. And so how are you doing? How are you posturing yourself before Jesus? You see, so many of us, we go to the Bible thinking it's this like spiritual self-help book. That's not why the Bible exists. The Bible is predominantly there to help you see Jesus for all that he is and for all that he's done. His beauty, his majesty, his perfection, his holiness, his justice, his goodness, his grace, his gospel. That's why the Bible's there, that you might see him. And as you see him, he uses his word before you, his people around you, and his spirit within you to begin to inform your mind, but then transform your heart that he might impact your hands and how you live this life. When you see Jesus, he changes everything. When you behold him for who he is and what he's done, when you realize that his power rose him from the grave, but his love came back after you, he turns sorrow into joy. But he's not done yet. Because after he turns sorrow into joy with Mary, he's gonna turn fear into peace with the disciples. In verses 20, uh, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, Jesus encounters the disciples and they're never the same. They are taken in by fear and he's gonna transform that into peace. It says in verse 19 this, it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked with the disciples were for in fear of the Jews. Jesus come, came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Those that were wrapped in fear are now empowered by peace to go forth in boldness and courage into the very same world that just crucified Jesus. How do you go from fear to peace? Is that you begin to see the resurrected Jesus and you begin to recognize that the world can't do anything to you. They killed him and he seems to be doing okay that when you begin to see him and behold him, he takes that fear and changes it into peace. You go from being a coward to being courageous, from being wrapped in fear to walking in faith. And you do so by the spirit of God that now lives within you. It says in verse 22, and, and when he had said this, peace be with you, when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. How do you go from fear to peace? It's when the spirit of God is living with you. And if you're a believer in Christ, that's guaranteed that the spirit of God would come and dwell within you and would work in you and work through you. I love what 1 John chapter four says. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome for he who is in you, the spirit of God is greater than he who is in the world. And so if you're a believer in here and you are marked by fear, then you're not walking by the Spirit. If you're afraid of things in your life or things with your family or things in the culture, then you are not walking by the Spirit of God. You're walking by your flesh. And I can attest to that in my own life. 
constantly. And so a few weeks back uh, in John chapter 15, that talks about abiding with Jesus. Jeff challenged us as a body just to kind of sit with the Lord and go, okay, what does my life look like whenever I'm abiding and not abiding? And so just so that y'all know I do the homework as well, this was my list. That when I'm abiding with Jesus, when I'm walking by the spirit, I'm self-forgetting. But when I'm not abiding, I'm self-condemning. When I'm abiding, I'm Christ-seeking. When I'm not, I'm comfort-seeking. When I'm abiding, I have this good energy, but when I'm not, I have this general exhaustion. And then when I'm abiding, I'm walking in faith, but when I'm not, I can walk in fear. And so what's that list look like for you? Because when you encounter Jesus, he meets you where you're at, but then he begins to mold and transform you into who you're meant to be. And when you walk by the spirit, he turns fear into peace so that you would then be sent out by him. Do you see that in the passage? As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. That the Father sent Jesus in the full incarnation to be full of grace, full of truth. And as the Father sent Jesus into the world, Jesus looks at us now and says, so I'm sending you. And that can create fear in us, doesn't it? But then when we walk by the Spirit, we can have boldness and confidence and that fear turns into peace. But once again, Jesus isn't done. He's taken sorrow and made it joy. He's taken fear and he's making it peace, but now he's gonna take doubt and make it belief. In John 20 verses 24 through 31, Jesus is going to encounter Thomas who gets a bad rap, but recognize in the verse before the disciples were wrestling with the same thing. So not exactly doubting Thomas, but here we go. Verse 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him the same thing that Mary told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see in his hands and the marks of the nails and the place of his fingers to mark with the nails and the place of his hands on the side, I'll never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus kind of sneak attacked them And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them the same thing, peace be with you. Then Thomas said, then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve Thomas, but believe. I want you to notice Thomas doesn't do any of that, but rather he simply says, my Lord and my God, and Jesus said to them, you have believed because you've seen me, but blessed are those who have not seen City Bridge and yet have believed. Blessed are those that haven't seen physically with their eyes, but have trusted in their hearts and therefore have seen him. And so here's what we learn with Thomas, that the reality of the resurrection impacts your head. There is an objective reality that Jesus publicly died upon the cross. It was high and lifted up for the world to see, but there's objective reality, objective historical proof that Jesus rose from the grave. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And at the time that that was written, Paul says, hey, many of those are still alive. Why? Because he goes, go and see them. Go and talk to them. Jesus objectively died publicly, but he objectively rose publicly. The reality of the resurrection confronts your mind, but the reason for the resurrection confronts your heart. That Jesus wants you to believe in him. Why? So that you would have life and life abundantly in him. That's what the passage says in verse 30. 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life, both now and eternal, in his name. So how do you go from doubt to belief? It's by seeing the signs of Jesus. There were seven signs in the Gospel of John. Seven is the number of completion or wholeness or perfection. There were seven signs in the Gospel of John and what a sign is, is there to point you to the person and the work of Jesus. And when you see those signs pointing you to the person of Jesus, he begins to create in you a heart of doubt to a heart of belief. Because you don't just see the signs, but you see what the signs are pointing to. And the ultimate sign that Jesus did was dying on that cross and not staying dead, raising from the grave and returning for you. I've talked to a lot of us over these last couple months in which yourself or a family member, someone you care about, someone you love, are wrestling with doubt about who Jesus is and what he's done or whether or not we can really trust the scriptures. And what I tell people in those moments is really the same thing. I just say, hey, go on a journey with Jesus. Spend time with him. Open up a gospel account, maybe the gospel of John, and read through it. See what he's like. See how he speaks to people. See the signs that he does, and don't just fixate on the signs, but look to what the signs are pointing to, because the signs are there to show his goodness, his grace, his kindness, his meekness, his strength. And then I just encourage them, hey, if you're willing, pray to God. Hey, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me in the person of Jesus Christ? You see, Jesus didn't do these signs to show off. He did these signs to show himself. He didn't do signs to show off. He did signs to show himself. He turned water into wine. Why? Because he wanted to show us that he is making all things new. He calmed the storms. Why? To show that he is sovereign over the chaos and he can bring peace even to the storms of this life. He healed, why? To show that he is the remedy that our hearts long for and he is moving us to a point in which he will ultimately wipe away every tear from our eye and there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more cancer, only joy. He wasn't showing off. He was showing himself, his love, his grace, all that he is, and that's what a sign is. It's something that points you to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then you know what the rebuttal is, right? You've probably heard it before, we hear it all the time. Well, if I just saw the signs that Jesus did, then I would believe. You ever heard that? You ever felt that? Well, one, don't be so sure. Read the end of Matthew 28. There's people that actually see Jesus raising from the dead and they're like, yeah, I don't know. The issue for them wasn't ignorance. It was simply rebellion, which is at the heart of all mankind. But if you wanna see the signs that Jesus is doing, if signs are there to point to the goodness and grace and, and gospel of Jesus Christ, if you wanna see the signs that Jesus is doing, look to the story that Jesus is still writing because Jesus is not done telling stories of his goodness and his grace 
and his kindness. This past year, we heard dozens and dozens of stories of his kindness and his goodness and his grace that he has entered into the human story and created life and beauty and abundance. And we got to show over a dozen of them here on Sunday mornings. And as I, as I just this past week went on our website, I began to read some of the stories of life change in Jesus' name. And this is what some of these people said. They say, Christ gave me purpose that I spent years trying to fill with drugs, money, work, and success. Another person said, instead of exalting Jesus, I just exalted myself. I tried to pray impressive prayers because I didn't know how to pray honest ones. I faked my Christian walk for years. In his word, I finally realized the holiness of God and the gravity of my sin. And when I saw those two things, I finally realized the love of God for me. Another person said, before Christ, my life was marked by shame and self-protection. He took my heart of stone and gave me a new spirit within me. And God showed me that my story he wrote for me could be used for his glory. City Bridge, you wanna see signs of Jesus? Look around at the stories that Jesus is still telling. When Jesus did these signs, they're meant to point them to him. And Jesus begins to turn that doubt that we all wrestle with at times into belief. And he's doing it with Thomas because he wants Thomas to be secure in Jesus. And when you get that, that Jesus has returned for you to take sorrow and make it joy, fear and make it peace, doubt and make it belief, then you'll begin to recognize that he can take any sinner and make him a shepherd. John 21, Jesus encounters Peter. The passage begins by saying something simple. It says, after this in chapter 21, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples were together. So there's a group of disciples together, but then Simon Peter speaks out and says, hey, I'm going fishing. They said to him and said, hey, we'll go with you. And they went out on a boat by nine and they caught nothing. Now this could sound pretty simple, but if you remember before Jesus came and encountered Peter, before Peter met Jesus, Peter was a fisherman. And most people see this moment right here of not just a random occurrence, but rather Peter returning back to his old way of life. Now most people see this of him saying, hey, I'm going fishing as a reality that, hey, I've done some things and maybe I've gone too far. Yeah, I know that Jesus has returned for us. He's done it a couple times yet, but surely he can't want me. Surely he can't still use me. You ever feel like that? Man, I sinned again. I let him down again. Does he really want me now? Does he really care for me now? When I've let him down again, City Bridge, you were never holding him up. He was holding you up. And so if you think you've gone too far, let's look at Peter. Because Peter thinks that. And what Jesus is gonna do in this moment, it's so masterful and so beautiful, he recreates the moment of Peter's greatest sin and failure 
and he replaces it with his own perfect love. You see, in verses four through eight, Jesus creates the moment where Peter and Jesus first met. It was a moment in which Peter was out and he was fishing all night and he didn't catch anything. And then Jesus comes on the shore and says, hey, throw your net on the other side. And Peter's like, okay. And he does it. And then all of a sudden there's this miraculous amount of fish that come in and Peter has his eyes open. He sees Jesus and goes, okay, there's something about this guy that's worth following. And right here, Jesus hits the reset button for Peter. And the same story happens again. And all of a sudden, Peter has this moment that happens again. And he begins to realize Jesus is hitting the reset button. And so Peter, who acts first and thinks second, sees Jesus on the shore, is on the boat. And he just starts running, right? Off the boat, into the water. And he starts swimming to shore. And in this moment, he's coming back to where they first started. And yet Jesus is going to recreate the moment of Peter's greatest failure. It says in verse nine, it says there was a charcoal fire, fire there. Now, why is that important? Because in chapter 18, the only other time that word charcoal fire is used is when Peter was huddled around this charcoal fire, denying Jesus three times. And now Jesus is on the shore and he's recreating this moment of, of Peter's greatest failure but he doesn't even mention it. Peter sees it and he knows that he's denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus is gonna ask Peter the same question three times. Do you love me? It says in verse 15, it says, whenever they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then feed my lambs. He said to them a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter grieved. He wasn't frustrated, wasn't anger. But he's seeing the charcoal fire, he's seeing the repetition, and all of a sudden, all of his sin is flashing before his eyes, and he's recognizing that he has let Jesus down again and again and again. And he says to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, then feed my sheep. I want you to notice that there's never a question of whether or not Jesus loves Peter. We often wonder that in the midst of our sins. Does God really love me now? God just showed his love for you and that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And on this shore and on the shores of your life, when you see the sins of your life plaguing you, the question is never, does Jesus love me? The question is, do you love Jesus? And Peter in this moment says, I do, I do, I do, like wedding vows. I'm with you, Jesus, even to the end. And so Jesus looks at Peter and goes, then let's go. I'm not done with you yet. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to tend to my lambs because there's other sheep out there that are hurting, that have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and they need a shepherd. And Peter, I want you to be that shepherd. And City Bridge, if you have come to trust in Christ, God wants you as a shepherd of his people. Some of you are so haunted by the sins of your past that it's hurting you in the present. 
you feel so marked by your life's mistake. And yet Jesus will look at you right here, right now, and simply ask, do you love me? And if the answer is yes, then he'll say, then let's go. I'm not done with you yet. How do you go from sinner to shepherd? It's by surrendering your life to Jesus. The first command we read in the gospel account that Jesus told Peter was back in Matthew where Jesus looks at Peter and says, follow me. And right here in John chapter 21, the last command that Peter gets is follow me. So whether or not you've been following Jesus for 20 years or whether or not you feel like you've blown it this morning, the command on your life is the same. Follow Jesus. Surrender your life to him and he'll make you a sinner and transform you into a shepherd. This is our Jesus. He turns sorrow into joy, fear into peace, doubt into belief, and sinners into saints. And when you encounter Jesus, Jesus begins to transform your life. The entire Gospel of John was set up so that you could see Jesus. His public ministry was there so that you could see Jesus. His private ministry with his disciples was there so that you could see Jesus. And his passion ministry was there so that you could see Jesus. Because when you see him for who he is and what he's done, you're never the same. And so as we close this gospel account, we look at these four different individuals and we begin to see that they are us. And Jesus has returned for all of us. And so you have been saved. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have been saved to see Jesus like Mary, to behold him, to spend time with him, to see his beauty, his wonder, his power, his strength, and how all of that is directed at you because he loves you. But you've also been saved to be sent out by Jesus like the disciples. As the Father has sent me, so I send you into a hurting and broken world. You've been saved to be secure in Jesus like Thomas. Jesus wants you to know, not just in your head, but in your heart, that he not just rose from the grave, but he's returned for you because he loves you and wants you to have life and life abundantly. And then finally, you've been saved to shepherd the flock of Jesus like Peter. John closes by saying this. Now there are so many other signs that Jesus did and were every one of them to be written, I suppose the entire world itself could not contain the books that could be written. John is pointing back to the life of Jesus. And yet, as I've sat here over these last several years, I can't help but to think that he's also pointing ahead because the signs aren't done. The story's not yet done. And we've seen stories of life change this past year of so many different individuals that Jesus has entered into their story and they're never the same. And the question I want us to linger with and to be left with as we close the Gospel of John is what stories are yet to be told. As you see Jesus and are sent out by Jesus and are walking in a security with Jesus, who are you gonna shepherd to Jesus? Who's gonna be on the canvas of God's grace this time next year? 
City Bridge, do you love him? Then let's go. Because the gospel of John is over, but the story of Jesus is just beginning. So let's fill the world with story after story after story of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.